victims, for those of you who delight in dread, who fantasize about fear, who glorify gore, welcome. You have found the place where the horror returns. Listeners, beware. This podcast contains major plot spoilers and the foulest of language. Join us in celebrating the old and the new, the best and the worst in horror. Alright, greetings listeners, uh, fellow Horror Returns and Super Network listeners. This is Lance, and I've got uh, Stephen Boltz with me, um, who co-hosts a little show called The King Zone over on the Super Network, as well as running a theater company, The Knack Theater. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what, what you guys got going on over there, Steve. We uh, Well, The Knack, we're kind of... Uh, um we follow the punk rock ethos, uh, the DIY. We, my wife and I started it. We got sick of not being able to get our plays up with other groups. So we just went, Hey, you know what? Let's do our own. And, um, she, I, I had one up last year called Lenore, which was inspired by Pose the Raven. And, um, uh, we're directing, currently directing, uh, one of my wife's plays right now for, um, for later in the year. Nice. All right. Well, we're both super, super excited because tonight we have with us or today or whatever, um, <laughs> Richard Chismar, uh, publisher of Cemetery Dance Publications. I'm sure you guys being horror fans have all heard of Cemetery Dance, but uh, Richard is also a writer in his own right. Thank you for joining us, Richard. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. So uh, what's going on, man? I know there's a, a nice little box set of three books that you and a certain Mr. King wrote. What's up with that? Um, I, I guess that's hitting sometime soon, right? Um, yeah, we've 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 released the uh, third book in the Gwendy trilogy, uh, Gwendy's Final Task, earlier in the year, and then Simon and Schuster put together a, a, a pretty nifty looking box set, which will come out in October, I believe. Um, so yeah, I just I just finished writing a book about three weeks ago, so I'm kind of resurfacing out of my cave and uh, getting back <laughs> to uh, promoting um, both the third Wendy book and uh, Chasing the Boogeyman are out in trade paperback this summer. So I'm kind of doing podcasts and uh, hitting some bookstores to do some signings, and uh, yeah, it'll be a busy fall. Very nice. Well, we'll uh, we'll get this interview on both networks and send you all the links as usual. But let's uh, let's dive in. We got a lot to ask. So, uh, Stephen, I think you were going to go with the first question. Yeah, thank you. Thank. I'm excited to hear about the uh, the box set too. By the way, that's awesome. All the books have come out in different sizes here in Australia, and that just does my OCD in. But I do have a. Um, I just, my my first question is about um, is about Gwendy. It's just, man, how do you get to write a book with Stephen King? Man, you're you're uh, uh, on one hand, I say your guess is as good as mine <laughs> because it still feels uh, you know pretty much like a, a fever dream. But uh, no, I mean Steve and I, you know, I've been sending him the magazine since way way back in the uh, you know the first issue came out in '88, and uh, I sent him that 
you know, up to Maine and uh, I'm sure with a, a fawning note that said, hey, you know, I'm your biggest fan. And, you know, somehow overcame uh, that that, you know, those rough beginnings. And uh, just over the years, I continued to send them, you know, each issue of the magazine, a copy of every book we published. And, and somewhere in there, you know, I, I found out that Steve's as much of a fan of, of all this stuff as uh, as anyone. Um, he, he, you know, started dropping me postcards and nice notes and uh, then eventually, you know, allowed me to publish short stories and limited editions of his books. Um, so, yeah, over the course of a couple decades, you know, a business relationship turned into a friendship. Um, a lot of talking about baseball and dogs and <laughs> family and that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, just just in the middle of one of those, uh, it was an email exchange. We weren't actually texting that day. Uh, I, we were we were talking about uh, collaborations and round robin projects where you have, you know, six or seven or eight or ten different authors involved. And he mentioned the story, Gwendy, that he had never been able to finish. And um, the next day it showed up in my email box and it, <laughs> it's something like, you know, I do with it as you wish. And so wow. I remember I texted him back and, and said, uh, I got the story. You know, you want me to finish it? And he's like, if you can, go for it. And that's really how it happened. It, it, Far out. it was just this conversation about other things that connected and, and led to this opportunity. That's sweet. Yeah. I know, um, Rich, I know you've worked with a lot of other writers. Like, uh, we've got Rohan friend of the show. We've interviewed him several times. Uh, Joe Lansdale. I think you've oh, done yeah, some work great. with him. Um, but Hey man, take us back to the beginning. Like what, what led you on the journey to create cemetery dance publications? You know, I was, I was a senior in college, and I had just uh, before that I was I played lacrosse. I was an athlete and and, and uh, played at a pretty high level in college. And and after numerous injuries, I finally just decided to walk away. So my senior year in college, I was kind of kind of lost and kind of looking around of you know what's next. And I'd always been interested in writing and and had at an earlier age had written stories and and always a huge horror fan, Stephen King fan. Um. So what it ended up being next was uh, the book It came out in hardcover, and uh, I read that over the course of a couple weeks. And by the time I was done, it, it kind of reminded me, uh, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. And I started writing for the college newspaper, and then I started uh, taking journalism classes and started writing fiction again and started submitting stories to the small press. And mm -hmm. there was a magazine called The Horror Show that I really admired and I found out that it was done pretty much um, single-handedly by this guy named David Silva, who lived in the mountains of Mount Shasta, California. And, and once I found that out, I was like, "Hey, man, if he can do this, right? I can do this." So that's what that—that that honestly was the uh, the moment. I just uh, was like, you know, I want to do my own magazine, and uh, so I started Cemetery Dance and and learned everything the hard way. Um, and just never stopped. I never went out and got a real job and uh, just grinded through, you know, those first 10 years where you're, you know, you're making literally pennies. Sure. Um, but it didn't matter. I was very passionate about it, believed in it and uh, just never stopped. I'm curious because I've um, looking over looking over at Gwendy. I mean, you're um, was it was it planned as a as a as a trilogy or no. did that? Yeah, no. you did. 
No, no, not at all. No, we, no. That's the thing. When Steve, Steve had, you know, 25, 30 pages. And, you know, he swears to this day, you know, we've done a lot of joint interviews. And he always says it would still be sitting up in the corner of my, uh, of my, uh, you know, desktop of his monitor screen if I hadn't come along. And I always just shake my head. And I always say, Steve, you would have finished it eventually. He's like, no, no I really wouldn't have. Which, which <laughs> Right. Which makes me wonder how many other amazing pieces of fiction, uh, you know, unfinished he has sitting up there in the corner of his monitor screen. Right. No doubt. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah. So now we, we just, you know, when, when he said, you know, take, you know, take a shot if you want. And I finished it. We, it the funny thing was, is we had never discussed what we were going to do with it or what length it should be. Anything. When I, when I finished it, I remember I just sent it to him and I said, I hope you like it. And he said, I love it. And we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, what now? Um, <laughs> so I ended up publishing it as a little hardcover because we had published a, a little book of his called blockade Billy years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. So we said, let's, let's just publish it in the same format. Okay. Um, and that was pretty much going to be it. We never, never even, I never thought about a sequel. We never discussed a sequel until a lot of, uh, Again, uh, a lot of people in interviews asked us after the first book came out, will there be a sequel? And, and I remember my response was always a very careful, you know, uh, I, I have no idea. If Steve wanted to, I'm in. <laughs> he was always, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't have an answer to that. You know, nothing is planned. Um, and then and then I, I was the one who brought up the idea for Magic Feather. I just woke up one morning with it and I, <clears throat> I emailed him and I said, hey, I think I know what Gwendy's been doing for the last 20 years. Cool. And, and I <laughs> said it and he just said, oh, you know, it's that's a great idea. You know, I'm busy with Holly Gibney right now. He's writing one of those books. And he just mm -hmm. said, you need to write it. And now I in my infinite wisdom, I took that as. You know, you need to write the first draft and then I'll come on board and, and make you look good. Um, <laughs> I'm the manuscript and he's like, Rich, you know, if you want, I'll do an edit, but it's great. This is your story. It's all you. And I Beautiful. was I was like, wow, OK, I wow. you know, never would have like taken us back to, uh, you know, the full town of Castle Rock and, and, you know, brought Castle Rock back from the grave after after uh, needful things like I did. Mm -hmm. But um if I had known I was going solo, I would not have had the balls to do that. But <laughs> so, yeah. And then the third one was his idea. What, what was interesting is once the second one came out, Simon Schuster said, look, there's a lot of marketing opportunities that exist. If you can say the book is a series or a trilogy, um, you know, are you guys okay with that? And I remember I said, Steve, and he's like, yeah, he goes, well, you know, we'll get around to doing another story eventually. Um, so it was actually Simon and Schuster that that was kind of the catalyst for that. And uh, when they released number two, they were able to say it's going to be a series or a trilogy. And then Steve came to me with the idea for the third one, and just you know, my phone started uh, lighting up with lighting up with uh, texts from him one Sunday afternoon, and it was all about it was all about his idea to take Gwendy to space. And uh, so yeah, we just took off with it. Oh man, well you you just uh, you you actually kind of just answered one of the questions I was going to ask, but we'll uh, we'll get to that. But um, I, let me ask you this one, Rich. Out of all the, because I I was kind of looking through some of the nominations and awards that you and the you know and, and Cemetery Dance have have received over the years. 
But, you know, out of all those, you know, wins, nominations, accolades, things of that nature, what what are you most proud of? Like, what's your proudest accomplishment? Um, you know, that uh, anything that you've done and been recognized for? Um, you know, there's a handful of books that, that certainly would fall into that category. But honestly, it's it's more than anything. It's just survival. OK, uh, it's, it's just being here 30, almost 35 years later. Um, next year will be our 35th year. Um, it's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to hang around for 10. Um, so to kind of still be out here kicking and, and, uh, you know, still screwing up left and right, making mistakes and, you know, being late, but at the same time, putting out some wonderful material and, and introducing people to, to new writers at the same time as you're, you're giving them cool things like blockade Billy, which, you know, no mm-hmm. one knows published until we did. So, um, but yeah, the, it's interesting. The awards, I always, you know, I always try to tell people, you know, every it, awards are a really personal thing and right. to people, they, they're very meaningful. Um, they, they don't mean it's squat to me, uh, you know, <laughs> Honestly, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're just filler for the, uh, for the bias, you know, you put them on your, in sure. your bio because the publicists really want you to, um, but I'm pretty sure that that not one single award we've ever won has made a lick of difference in anything. And I've never I always say this is kind of a people are like, is it a point of pride? And I'm like, no, it's not a point of pride. It's just it's a reinforcement for I, I mean what I'm saying, because I've never been I've never shown up anywhere in person to accept an award. Um, gotcha. And, and with all that said, it's 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 hard because it's like I don't mean to be ungrateful and, and I don't want to come across that way. But that's probably why I haven't won one for the last 15 years, because people know, <laughs> like, don't don't give any more bits because he really, truly doesn't give a damn. Um, but, yeah, I just uh, it's just never really registered for me. I, and I think I think I learned really early on um, by winning a few that I probably didn't deserve that, you know. There are going to be years when you put out something. You know, I remember when I put out the Best of Cemetery Dance, that anthology. Okay. And I don't think that's one. I think that's one that didn't win anything. And I remember thinking, you know, it's kind of a cheat because I'm I'm up against other anthologies that are, you know, they published 15 or 20 stories that are, you know, from this past year. And I'm like, you know, my Best of Cemetery Dance contains 50 stories from the first, you know, 30 issues of the magazine. So it should be good. <laughs> it should be really good. <laughs> um, and, and I remember thinking, you know, if, if there's ever a book that I, you know, that I was uh, a part of that should have probably won a couple of awards, that's one. Um, and then there's other books that are up on the shelf that, that I've won awards for. Where I look at them kind of cross-eyed and I'm like, hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Awards, I always want to kind of, I always want right. to speak on them. Uh, <clears throat> Because because people really get wrapped up in them and, and have their feelings yeah. hurt yeah. and oh yeah they get they get really warped ideas of how important they are um, but I, I I but I never really do um, because I don't you know like I said I don't want to come across as ungrateful and I also don't want to come across as, uh, as as someone who is diminishing because I know there are people who win these things and they're like in a place of honor and they're you know, they're in tears as they're accepting the award and things like that. And it's like, Hey man, that t- absolutely. It's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I can be in tears when I get, you know, when I pulled a, a story out of an envelope that's from, you know, one of my idols, whether it was Ray Bradbury, Richard Matheson or Stephen King, that's mm-hmm. the stuff that really, 
affected me and kind of made me think, you know, wow, how did I get here? Nice. Um, never about awards. So, so very, anyway, yeah, I'm a yeah, very, very different answer than we normally get on <laughs> that question. Yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I did a little, um, did a little research the other day. Um, and, and I noticed that you had, you had co co-written with Jonathan Sheck, um, couple yeah. of screenplays um i'm looking at from a buick eight and black house what yeah. uh what happened with those they did not get made man um <laughs> they, they uh what's funny is uh john's uh you know real quick john john and i grew up together like two blocks away from each other oh. you know after co- in the middle of college actually he went on and you know became a big movie star out in hollywood and and did big movies with Tom Hanks and Gwyneth Paltrow and Harvey Keitel and just all these big, these big stars. Um, and then as he got older, you know, the, the, the starch started to fade a little bit because it, you know, unless you're Brad Pitt or Tom Hanks or one of those guys that always does, um, yeah. but he's still working, still doing great work. Um, but at some point in there, our paths crossed again and we decided, Hey, you know, we're both in these creative fields. We should try to do something together. So, we did a short film together um, based on one of my stories that he really loved. Um, he, uh, after that, we started writing full length scripts together, uh, you know, got a film agent for, you know, for, for the screenwriting. And, and we did really well. Um, what's interesting is the highest profile things that we wrote together were the things that didn't get made. Um, ah. You know, we, we did an independent film on a Ed Gorman novel called the poker club that was, that was made independently into a feature. We did, we adapted Bentley Little and Peter Crowther and some other guys and, and for Masters of Horror and Fear Itself on NBC. And I think we had three of those episodes made. Um, we did some rewrites for some projects that, you know, I, I really shouldn't talk about, but some very successful projects. And our, our actually our first big produced thing was and, and um, this is not one of those projects I was just bragging about but uh, <laughs> roadhouse 2 the sequel yes sir all right <laughs> yes sir uh that was one that, that they offered john a lot of money to be in the movie as an actor and then they offered us yeah, a, a pretty significant amount because it was our first rewrite gig to rewrite the script and in 10 days um so we did that and we, we you know it was just supposed to be a rewrite you don't get your name on it or anything like that but because john was acting in it they decided to put our name on it so that's how Roadhouse oh, 2 yeah. our first <laughs> studio film. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, you know, one of the first books that we optioned was Stephen King's From a Buick 8. And I just published the limited, um, fell in love with the book. It, it, it really corresponded with, with a loss that I had recently suffered in my own life. So it was a book I felt passionately about on a personal level and um steve trusted us with it and it was just this huge thing and we we came really close we came really close to having that film made with some wonderful actors various you know times uh, over the course of three or four years and then we finally just decided you know we can't hold on to it any longer um amen but we 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 were developing it with tom hanks's uh production company they were helping us at, it, this was like in the third third incarnation of it uh but yeah there were genre people attached to it if different times toby hooper was was going to direct at some point then george romero holy um, smoke i, I still oh, have a, yeah. I still have a rewrite of the script um from george sitting in a closet that that you know like maybe five people in the world have seen uh, 
Mm. And he did an awesome job. And then with Black House, Akiva Goldsman, who's an Academy Award winning producer. Oh, yeah. right? He uh, one day I got a call. I was at the beach with my family and John's like, look, our agent just talked to Akiva and he's really interested in us adapting Black House. Um, it's kind of a long shot because, you know, all of the red tape with the talisman. Mm. But you know, do you want to do it? There's no guarantees. And I was like, hell yes, I want to do it. Now, the funny thing is I'd never read the books. Um, (laughs) My family and I are uh, all over this tourist beach town, the secondhand bookshops looking for a copy of Black House so I could read it. Um, And we did, we, we did, man, we hammered that mammoth book into a 125 page script. Really, really proud of it. And Akiva called us. He was in Europe doing a, one of the Tom Hanks, uh, Dan Brown books like Inferno or, uh, mm. with the painting one, the Da Vinci code. Yeah. You know, da Vinci code. And yeah, I never, I never forget it. John was in Los Angeles on, on the phone. I was standing in the cemetery dance warehouse and Akiva said, guys, you know, he said, I was, I read it on a train going across Spain or somewhere. And he said, it felt like I was sitting next to Stephen King. And I was just like, oh, wow. Wow. That's wonderful. And then ultimately it never got made. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. Any, anything could happen still. Yeah. I think they've got other people, you know, just yeah. the film. <laughs> is nuts. But you know what? I don't even care. We, we had the experience and, um, it, it was one of those things where you're, you're going in and you're terrified and then you kind of yeah. rise to the occasion. And, and we did as, as partners and he feel, you know, I know John feels the same way. And that is like, you know, guess what? We, we spent a lot of time on it. We did not make a lot of money on it. We did not get to see it up on the screen, but we know we did the book justice and, and that's all that matters. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. That's a cool yeah. feeling. Um, yeah. well, like I said, I, I, I had a, I was going to ask you what inspired you for the setting of the third book without giving too much away. But, uh, let me ask you this, man, what, it, what inspired you to come up with the magic feather? Tell us that story. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was the kid who kind of believed, you know, I, I believed in Bigfoot and, uh, if, uh, if you ever pick up a copy of Chasing the Boogeyman, the, the initial, mm-hmm. the opening section is, is a lot of uh, autobiographical stuff about my childhood. And I talk about it in there. I'm like, man, I am the one who wanted to, I was a true believer, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, the boogeyman, um, all that stuff, which is, you know, why it's wonderful. I get to do what I get to do for a living. Um, but uh, at somewhere at a early age, we, uh, I remember this, we were going on a family trip to Buffalo and only Buffalo because my aunt Helen lived up there. Okay. And, but, you know, the eight year old or whatever I was, Rich Chismar, it was a, it was a big deal. And I remember saving up my pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters so that I could have some uh, a, a nice stash to spend once I got up there to exotic buffalo. And, uh, <laughs> lots of and, lots of hot wings. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we pack ourselves in, in a car, me, my three sisters, my, my older brother was was off in the army at the time. But yeah, Um we, we pull up in my aunt's driveway, everybody's hugging out, in, you know, outside, they all go in to, you know, kind of get settled. I hang outside and there's a, you know, cluster of neighborhood kids and they must've saw the, uh, the, the greenhorn from Maryland, um, <laughs> right away because they proceeded to sell me, uh, what they claim was a magic feather for like, <laughs> oh, nice. I don't know, like six bucks or eight bucks. It was, okay. oh, it, was it represented like, 
75% of what I had saved. And I remember I walked in and I'm like, guys, oh guess God. what? I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Guess what? You know, and I showed him my magic. <laughs> and my sisters just started belly laughing at me. Oh. They're like, you just got suckered. I'm like, you don't know that. So, so what's funny is after magic feather came out, um, I got to tell them who got the last laugh. I'm like, that feather might have been pretty damn magical after all. No shit. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the story. Right. Behind, that's where the magic feather came from. And, and it kind of fit Wendy because she, you know, she's got the innocence. Even mm-hmm. with everything that's going on, she's kind of able to maintain the goodness and innocence inside of her. And she's a believer, you know, despite mm-hmm. knowing how dark everything can be. Um, and carrying that burden on her shoulder, she she's she still believed in the good things, and that's that. It was symbolic, and I it when I started the book, it, that thought was in was not in my mind, but that's you know that's where it ended up straying to. But uh, yeah, I still get a kick out of telling that story because I'm like you know I, I am never go, you, yeah I am not the guy you want to take to the car dealership with you when you're trying to work out a deal because <laughs> they're like yeah and we'll or throw maybe, in, you know maybe you are. No, <laughs> trust me, man. They'll be like, and we'll throw in, you know, uh, you know, uh, floor mats. And I'm like, all right, sold. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, but that's where the magic feather came from. And uh, yeah, I love that story. Well, I had I had another uh, uh, question or two about Gwendy, but you answered them sort of in the answers to <laughs> the other questions, which was which was yeah. great. And <laughs> I'm wondering, I, I, I'll just I'll just make one up quickly while I'm thinking of it. Um, so the, the 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 first book takes place in in the uh, early early like mid to late seventies. Um, yeah, in in Castle Rock, right? I'm like seventy. What is it? Like seventy five? Oh, somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere in there. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff already set up in the in the King universe with Castle Rock. So right. was there any was there any danger of 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 continuity or starting a multiverse? Like if you <laughs> if, oh, yeah, if you yes. contradicted something or yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's where Bev Vincent came in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I can say for Steve, too, because Bev, I think, knows more about castle rock than steve does um but for sure i, I remember uh you know bev is is i, I don't really have uh what do they call the beta readers you know um i don't really have uh a group that i do that with um but bev has kind of become one of those early readers for me now because uh, because of the gwendy books because yeah I, I know when i was finished I sent that bad boy to Bev and I'm like, you know, make sure I don't look stupid anywhere. <laughs> uh, and he did a great job of that. And um, yeah, but there, there was always concerns. And I mean, and like I said, when I went back and wrote Magic Feather in the time period that it was, um, according to the, um, you know, the already in place Stephen King, you know, um, timeline, you know, Castle Rock was gone. For the most part, it, it had pretty much gone away after uh, Needful Things. Um, so I brought it back and I put the monument to the rebuilding of the town after the Great Fire and all that stuff in, into Magic Feather. Um, and again, I you know I felt like it was okay to do that because Steve's gonna you know piggyback and and, and yeah, write sure. some stuff himself. <laughs> so then those those were all like some of the first thoughts when 
when Steve said, no, this one's all you that came in my mind was, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but he dug that, you know, he, he dug it quite a bit and um, was fine with it. But, yeah, there was a lot of going back and forth and making sure, you know, um, again, in Magic Feather, I brought back the the sheriff, you know, uh, who was. Bannerman. Yeah, who was the deputy back then. And I tried to, you know, make some things, you know, make sense in, in a timeline. Um you know, kind of way. But at the same time, there were, you know, some jumps you have to make and, and decisions you, you do yourself. But but yeah, no, that, I mean, that was uh, that that was part of the fun. I mean, I still remember when, you know, he, he sent the story that morning. It was a Friday morning that I opened my email and saw this thing and Gwendy's final. I mean, Gwendy's button box. And right in the first paragraph, it talks about Castle Rock. And I'm like, OK, not only am I, you know, co-writing this story with Stephen King. I'm I'm co-writing a Castle Rock story, um, yeah. which is why I was, you know, it was a mixture, honestly, of, of exhilaration and, and pure terror. Uh, <laughs> That's the so, best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was That's a cool thing. Best. I mean, because because and I, I tell people, I'm like, look, man, I'm not even trying to be cool about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about those awards and I'm, I'm talking about being around for 35 years. And we've been fortunate to have done a lot of really cool stuff and experienced a lot of cool stuff. But at heart, man, I'm still the guy who who read Salem's Lot as a kid and it changed my oh, yeah. life. And then I read yeah. it when it came out and it definitely changed my life. And and I'm still that guy, you know, I, I'm a constant reader. So. Like I said, I don't even try to play it cool. Um, you know, the, having an opportunity to do that is just a ridiculous thing. And and of all the things I dreamed, that was not one of them because I would never have gone there. So, so yeah, it's uh, you know, I got a copy of. I'm gonna brag about this. I'm not bra- I'm not bragging, but it's gonna sound like it, so I'll say it. But <laughs> I got a copy of uh, Fairy Tale in the mail yesterday at the house. Um, you know, Steve always sends me an, a very yeah. nice inscribed copy. And in this one, he's sure. like, he's like, uh, I can't remember. He wrote something. And then he said, thanks for Gwendy and everything else. And I'm just nice. like, what, what What world do I live on? Wow. Yeah, right, man. You know? So, <laughs> so yeah, you're, 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 you know, no matter what you think of me, by the time you hang up, make sure that, that you uh, that you guys understand how, how fortunate I feel and how grateful I feel. That's, uh, no doubt, man. No doubt. Yep, yeah. that's amazing. We we touched on the the TV and movie stuff a little bit earlier, but um, and you talked about some of the obvious, you know, obviously the frustrations, like when you put a lot of heart and soul and it doesn't make it to screen. Right. Um, but is there any uh, story you can tell us about something that did make it to screen? Like what what was the extent of your involvement? Was it kind of like hand over the writing and hands off, or were you a big part of the whole process? How did that work? It, you know, it depends. I, I, in some cases, I was offered a, a more of a of a role than I took just because I kind of was, you know, focused on other things. Um, but that runs the gamut from, you know, when we did. We uh, we adapted a, a, a insane Bentley Little story called The Washingtonians for uh, season two of, of Masters of Horror. Yes. And I remember. Yeah. I, I, remember, I just remember it, the short story was published in Cemetery Dance, which, again, made it even a cooler kind of, of experience for us. <laughs> but I, I remember being on set in Vancouver and just seeing these characters. And they actually asked me, you want to get dressed up as one of the Washingtonians that, <laughs> storming this house? And I, you know, I, I, I was more interested in it was my first big movie set. 
other than the short that we had made together. And okay. I, remember, I remember number one kind of being a greenhorn and being like, no. And then I also knew that craft services, that if there was so much great food. And I'm like, man, if, I, if I'm all this, if I'm in all this makeup and I have to be worried about being in the front of the camera, then I can't eat all the food at the craft services. So I told him no, and I regret that. Um, oh no! <laughs> yeah, but uh, other times, you know, I've been on, I've been on board as a producer, and and uh, you know, I, I could have done more than I did, but again, I was yeah. helping raise my boys and was married, so I didn't want to okay. be stuck on a movie set for six weeks. Ah, I I, um, I dig it, man. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's eventually why I kind of stepped back from the film stuff is I just, you know, it is a lot of headache. It is a lot of hassle yeah. and it's I a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of, uh, you know, giving in and which I'm not very yep. good at. Yep. Um, and, I had two, and I had two sons at home and I, I always refused to like miss their games and everything. So it just, uh, you know, eventually I was like, you know, maybe eventually I'll get back into it. But right now I just, I'd rather be a dad and, um, and do my thing. So. But yeah, no, that's a good question because I, I've there have been times when I've been asked to, you know, do things that I've just been like not interested in, and uh, you know, we did. The cool thing is, is we we had a film made of Widow's Point, which is a novella that my son Billy and I wrote together, and we got to go on the set for oh, a week, wow. and uh, Billy had a bit part, so I got to watch him in hair and makeup and get mic'd up and, you know, be in front of the camera. I got to watch the monitor while his scene was filmed and. And we got to, uh, you know, really, because that was our creation, as opposed to us adapting someone else's work, um, that was a really cool experience to see, you know, things that came directly from our imagination onto the page and then onto yeah. the script um, be spoken out loud and acted by by good actors. And, and uh, that was cool. And especially, you know, father-son experience, you kind of can't beat that. Steve, you had, a, you had one more question? I do not. Lance, they have ah, been asked, right. they have been answered, man. They asked have been answered. answered. I was going to ask about the the process uh, uh, writing writing with King because I know he and Straub did um, did the Talisman um, over fax, and uh, uh, King said, you know, after a while they couldn't tell who wrote what, you know, yep. and but you you know you, you you went into that, you went and you talked about that, so no, man, okay. um, <laughs> I think well, I'm done. Uh, you got it. It was that, impossible to tell who wrote what. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay because I've kind of got a bonus question, sort of a bone to pick with you. Uh, oh, as a matter of fact, Rich, Ooh. I don't know if it's you or, uh, or 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 Steve or Steve that I've got the bone to pick with, but which one of you motherfuckers <laughs> made Gravity's Rainbow such a big part of, of oh, it and yeah, made, yeah, made yeah, me no. read that? fucking thing well what's and, funny uh, is hey better you than me i haven't read it um no! Jesus. Oh. <laughs> God, it, damn it. that's steve man that he uh he put it in the first one right 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 i brought it back for the second oh, one i i'm the one who brought it back for feather because i, I again you you know steve that's the, the one of the, it's part of the magic of steve is how you know everything's right. connected so when i uh yeah. i thought that would be a perfect thing and I, I can't remember Did, didn't didn't i have uh the security guy give that to her as a gift yes and i yeah. try i try to read 24 books every year and and after having plotted through all 1200 pages of that i'm i'm, I'm i got a lot of catching up to do man <laughs> sorry man that's steve i don't even mind telling you that he, uh, <laughs> yeah put that in the first one i picked it up uh, and ran with it in the second one 
All right. Oh, man. Richard Chisworth throws Stephen King under the bus. Wow. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say that. Now, come on. <laughs> um, all right. Look, this is our this is our big question um, that, that we like to ask everybody, Rich, before we sign out. Sure. Um, and this is, you know, you talk about things being personal. This this is very personal. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. And just kind of curious uh, if, it, you know, what you would have to say about it. But um, are there any special, you know, charities, causes, um, institutions, anything of that nature that are particularly near and dear to your heart for whatever reason? Um, and if so, how could our listeners get involved? Um, you know what? The uh, we usually do. We're usually well. Number one, we're we're softies. So if uh, and 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 I mean that only in like the context of uh, you know we're those guys who you know you see a sad commercial come on in the middle of your mood at eleven o'clock at night and we're like scribbling down the eight hundred number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God help me if it's like dogs and animals and stuff. Oh but, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I, I'm a two time cancer survivor. Um, we lost my dad to cancer and, and obviously countless other relatives and, and friends. So, you know, whenever, uh, the opportunity arises, you know, we're always trying to, to do something for, you know, whether it's the, uh, you know, the cancer society, the big one here or, or, you know, a smaller offshoot. Um, you know, we always support, uh, uh, what is the the children's hospital for for cancer patients um, mm-hmm. here in the states? And you know we've we've done some literacy stuff here. And you know we live probably uh, half an hour, forty minutes outside of Baltimore in Maryland. Okay. And uh, we've we've done you know considerable amount for like some of the literacy charities for the inner city. Um, you know it breaks my heart when I talk to a lot of schools, to, you know, classrooms and all that. And and yeah, I mean it. it it there's there's no magic formula man there's it seems to for the most part if the parents have books in the house the kids are exposed and and they read um but there's so many of these kids who there's not a single book in their home mm-hmm. and, uh, so yeah that, that's always something we're really interested in but yeah we're kind of spread out you know um okay cool and, and children and, and literacy and animals you know we've got we've got four dogs so we uh we're animal <laughs> lovers and uh anything we can do in that regard okay. too well, you're you're gonna you're gonna love reading fairy tale then if you haven't already. Oh yeah, yeah, um, no, I read it way back <laughs> and uh, fell in love with it. I, I you know, uh, it, it my blurb for the book, which wasn't a blurb because Steve certainly doesn't need one from me. But I, the email I wrote back to him is I just said, Steve, this is the kind of book that made me fall in love with reading when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's that kind of imagination stretching, wonder filled thing where it was just like you finish it. And I remember the first thing, one, the second thing I told him rather after all that was it has to have illustrations when it's published. And he's like, yeah, that's the plan. Um, mm-hmm. Because I just but yeah, I fell in love with it. And, it, and, and again, right. I'm a much bigger fan. It took me a long time to give in and read the Dark Tower stuff because I was just like, yeah. yeah and that was weird because I love Westerns and I love Stephen King. But it took a lot of people, you know, badgering me to finally read the series. And I loved it. But. I'm a, you know, I was always a bigger fan of the, of the scary Steve stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, the fact that that fairy tale hit me as, as hard as it did just talk, you know, it's a tribute to his, his, uh, storytelling at age 75, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, beautiful. We appreciate it. So before we, uh, before we log out, obviously we want to, you know, thank you for, 
for joining us for the interview, man. This was great. And um, I guess two questions. Number one, where where can everybody find you on social media? Um, and where can people find your, you know, your publications on social media? And then, you know, secondly, hell, <laughs> Let, let's call a spade a spade. Uh, what do you have to pimp <laughs> besides the, <laughs> uh, the, the, am, the upcoming? <laughs> yeah, the stuff on, like I said, the stuff I'm pimping is is the paperback of Chasing the Boogeyman and the third Gwendy book. And then uh, the box set comes out in October. Um, okay. Turned in the sequel to Chasing the Boogeyman. So that'll be out sometime next year. Wow. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and, and do a lot of giveaways and contests and cool stuff. I, I really en- actually enjoy doing that. I don't I don't leave much. I don't I don't get out much. So the fact that uh, I'm able to kind of really participate and meet readers uh, online is a cool thing. So yeah, you can find me in all these places. Any last minute questions you had, uh, Stephen? No, no, sir. No, I don't. All right, appreciate it. And thanks, um, guys. Yeah, looking forward to reading the next one. So chasing the boogeyman is out now. Yeah, Chasing the Boogeyman okay. came out hardcover last August, paperback this June or no, no, this July. Um, right. So, yes, yeah, it's out there in all the stores now. And, uh, yeah, I'll be out there, like I said, signing a bunch of copies in October. Good deal. All right. Take care. Out. Take care, guys. Thanks again. Thanks for sharing.